19 minutes it is before 9 p.m. We're under the microscope this evening and uh, we shine a spotlight on the higher education sector. And uh, I guess before we kick things off, um, it might be worth giving some of the context here. Um, uh, many of our listeners would recall a conversation we had with um, the South African Student Congress towards the end of last year. I think it was just after the uh, mini-budget in October. And uh, one of the things we were talking about at the time was uh, the uh, reductions in infrastructure grants and TVET colleges, you know, the reductions in some of the subsidies uh, uh, that uh, are transferred uh, to uh, many a uh, university, uh, and I guess also some of the, uh, challenge in the na- challenges in the National Student Financial Aid Scheme. And it seems as, uh, matters have come to a head because over the last few days or so, we've seen uh, the Minister of Higher Education, Science and Innovation coming out and saying, um, to be able to fund uh, many of those who are academically deserving, but uh, unfortunately, uh, by accident of birth, uh, come from poor households. Um, and uh, and I think, you know, as we talk about this, uh, it's certainly important to think about it in terms of where we are. It's the 9th of March. Uh, traditionally, in another year, people would already have been on campuses, classes would have started, the academic project would have started in earnest. But it's quite clear in many parts of our country that is not happening, and one of those is at the University of the Witwatersrand, where many of you would have seen uh, the scenes of the protest action uh, that uh, was continuing today and uh, demands from the students that uh, all academically deserving students be allowed to register and the university saying it remains open to meeting uh, with the, the students uh, to uh, dialogue to find a solution. The president of the Witsesar, Sim Pendulum Veka, joins me on the line. President, good evening to you. Uh, president, um, also as a long its family. Uh, good evening to you. <laughs> okay, uh, good evening to you, my brother, and uh, good evening to the listeners at home and those who are on the road. Sure. Pendulo, let's maybe start off here. Um, I mean, we, we've seen scenes, I, I think, throughout the course of the day on SABC News, um, you know, of, um, I guess, and even on social media, uh, some of the... Um, skirmishes of many a student um, uh, between them, private security, uh, and, uh, you know, all of what has been happening on campus. Uh, For, you know, the, I guess, um, disinterested observer, what is happening on the campus at WITS and uh, what seems to be the challenge in relation uh, to the registrations and the challenges of historic debt? Okay, uh, thank you for the question, my brother. Uh, What's happening at WITS University in simpler terms it's to say we have a number of students, uh, over 8,000, uh, to be exact, 8,142, that are unable to register due to their financial uh, difficulties or their financial-related uh, financial, uh, matters. And these students are unable to register because, for one reason or the other, either last year they were on the NFSAS uh, uh, scheme and they were since defunded or they were on the passar and the passar dropped them because of COVID, or they lost a parent, or they, lost, uh, they have a parent that lost a job. So these students uh, are now without anywhere to turn to, and we've since made uh, recommended demands to the university to say, look, these students be allowed to register because they are academically deserving. Now, uh, in the history of Vets University, and I'm hoping the university does reply to this at some point, in the history of Vets University, we've never had an academic year wherein students have performed so academically well. What's ironic is that it was the hardest year in academic history. So it makes no sense for us, for students, not to be allowed back into the system. Uh, to make it further worse, students last year were given an, an opportunity to go online for the first time. Some, in this regard, were set up for failure because they didn't even know how to use a computer or to find ways around online learning. 
and uh, the protest currently on campus also largely centers around that to say there's first years who've not been, even been equipped with computer literacy that are expected to continue with their academic year online and really they're being set up for failure because there's now a new system as a form of it you would know we used to use Sakai. Sakai is no longer there. We now use a, a new system called Uluazi or Canvas. And that mm. system not only confuses these first years, it confuses returning students. So you are setting these people up for failure because you expect sure. them to study online and in a month or so you're expecting them to have their tests and exams online. Mm. And, and, and I guess, you know, the, that's one uh, critical element, Mbendulo, uh, uh, when it comes to uh, the experience in particular of black poor and working class students at the University of the Vidvatisrand um, who, you know, happen to also live, uh, if we are to think about this idea of remote learning, in the areas that probably have the weakest telecoms infrastructure that makes it so difficult to even participate in the academic project because there's no fiber. Um, I mean, you know, there's no fiber. Um, but, but I think the other dimension I want to maybe hear from, from you is the nature of negotiations you've had with management. Uh, you know, often, I guess the, there's always this discussion that protest, you know, is the last action once, you know, discussions and dialogue with management has broken down. Where, where do you depart from each other when it comes to, to management? I mean, you know, Sharona Patel, the spokesperson of it, came out, uh, you know, uh, earlier on today saying, you know, the, there's some concessions the university has made. And, you know, her suggestion is that you are digging in your heels as students. Uh, on uh, particular matters that uh, I guess the university is saying they can't really meet you on? Um, so I, I, I must say this. Uh, there's, there's always two sides to every story, right? And I want to implore media... Yes, yeah. yes. I want to... And I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to exploit your platform here by trying to implore other media houses to try and report fairly, right? We saw this mistake happening in Fismas Hall. And it might happen again this time around because these are not problems that are necessarily faced by this by this alone. So first and foremost, uh, for the past two months, the SRC has been on campus. We've been on campus since the 4th of Jan, and we've been assisting students to try and register in one way or the other. We've, as an intervention strat- strategy, we've went so far as uh, raising money. Uh, we've tried raising 21 million to try and resolve the problem. And that has come to a failure. The university had even went out and claimed to have been supporting this campaign of ours. Uh, and we've tried uh, writing memorandum of demand as far back as the first week of China, as I do indicate that we arrived here, to say, look, we want you to assist students in these particular regards. And to us now, there's no point of return because registration, one, is near to closing, and second, the academic year has started. And if we wait any longer, and we wait any longer for any registration or any negotiation in one way or the other, we will be putting these students who are, who are yet to register and might not even have to register in a worse of position. So if the academic year proceeds, they uh, will be in a of position. Just to cite a small example, ordinarily, uh, someone would be allowed or would really be given an opportunity to go and attend class if it was physical or in a different environment while having not registered. But people who are expected to attend class online cannot have the same privilege because they have to have access to a particular link for a particular class. And mm, if you don't have access mm. to that particular link for a particular class, you're then prejudiced, even if you do register later at some point, and you set up for failure before you even start. So mm, uh, we tried mm. just briefly to negotiate with the university for close to two months now. And we are yet to get something significant from any of the, dem- from any of the demands we've made. Not a single one. Not a single might have been to 
President, let's do this. Uh, I want us to pause here for a second and uh, take a brief break. And uh, when we come back, I want us to touch on two things. One, uh, the accommodation crisis. I mean, if people can't register, I would assume they can't register and get into res. Um, and uh, certainly from Akko to Gafanana to come from far-flung places, uh, there would be a question around, uh, you know, uh, where you're going to sleep um, as you try and make sure you sort out your life and get yourself registered. And then I also want us to talk about, um, I guess, some of what came out of the budget and uh, the view of students, uh, um, you know, on uh, the campus there at WITS about what implications this is going to have for them. Stay tuned. Nine minutes it is before 9 p.m. We're under the microscope, and this evening my guest is the SRC president at the University of the Vidvatasran, Bendulum Vega, uh, joins me, and uh, we're talking about the situation out on uh, campus and uh, uh, I guess uh, some of the uh, issues uh, in uh, finding a workable solution between uh, the students and WIT management. And uh, Bendula, I want us to maybe just talk, I guess, about uh, the implications of this for accommodation. I mean, uh, one would think that uh, by now students would have already checked themselves into res, uh, preparing themselves for the start of the academic year. Um, and if we accept many students don't come from the Gauteng city region, um, you know, then I guess that might be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, it is a challenge. And I think uh, as, a, as, a, as an alumni of the university, you'd be aware of this. Uh, we have this challenge every year, and I don't think it's a vast problem only. It's not peculiar to us. It's a challenge which is faced across the country. Uh, for example, the reason why the university is not allowing any journalists into campus is because there's people who are sleeping in libraries. We still have people at the height of COVID who are sleeping in labs and places I can't mention on this public platform. Uh, it's not only students this time around. That's the shocking part. Parents are sleeping with their, with their students on benches on campus to try and ensure that they are assisted with registration. The situation is dire, it's bad. Today we had a protest, we shut down the institution, and journalists couldn't be allowed into campus because the university was trying to hide its shame. So the accommodation crisis, I will not lie to you, it's a, it's a crisis that is there every year. And uh, frankly put, the ultimate solution lies on land. I mean, accommodation is land, right? So the buildings in Bramfantin need to start being vets uh, owned or city owned, and they must be given to students because... Homelessness not only leads to uh, vulnerability in terms of your studies, but more particularly for female students, it increases the chances of gender-based violence and gender-based harm and femicide. So if we don't address this with the rigor it deserves, uh, and various stakeholders of society don't come to the party at the pace they should, then really we're setting the country uh, up for failure. And, and I guess, the, you know, all of these issues that you're raising, uh, Mbendulo, right through from the challenges of registration, the funding, historic debt, accommodation, uh, many would argue, I guess, uh, certainly mm -hmm. as it relates to, to poor working class students, that there was a certain pact signed mm -hmm. uh, between the poor and the working class in South Africa and the government, which mm -hmm. was that at least many of those who are academically deserving are in greatest need, uh, would be able to go through the system. It seems mm -hmm. of late uh, that uh, even that isn't assured and uh, I guess puts uh, some uh, uh, question marks around the gains of the Fismas Fall movement and other uh, uh, struggles on campuses that preceded it. Um, I want to hear your view on that, uh, Mbendulo, in light of what uh, the minister said yesterday, but also I guess some of the uh, uh, trends that we saw in the budget, which uh, will have extensive downward implications on some of the resources available to uh, students, both for funding but also for, for the university's academic project. 
So I, I must mention this. Uh, you correctly point out that as a result of these must fall, a lot of gains were, were made. And those gains, in, in my observation, are being reversed. I mean, post FISMA fall, yes, uh, there were shortcomings, but among the overcomings or the fruits of FISMA fall was the fact that NEPSAS was moved from being a loan to being a grant, right? So meaning any student who benefits and qualifies from NEPSAS would not necessarily have to pay it back. And second, any student who's a SASA beneficiary would readily get NEPSAS, right? There wouldn't be a question about that. Uh, the contradictory part is to say in 2020, you can get a SASA grant or any grant from government and still not qualify for NEPSAS, which is a very, very uh, disheartening or rather troubling uh, reality to say. My entire life, I can be supported by the government until I'm 18. And when I'm 19, the government thinks I'm, I'm not poor enough to qualify for NEPSAS, right? Uh, and second, not only that, but I think some of you or some of the listeners at home would have seen a reply from the NEPSAS board uh, to a student who said, look, I was unemployed last year and I was sitting at home and I've been receiving the 350 grant. Am I eligible for NEPSAS? And the reply to the student was that the student had been getting 350, so he can't be eligible for NEPSAS. And it was something which caused an uproar on the streets of Twitter. So to briefly respond to that in that way, one, yes, it's a problem because the gains of what were, was fought for in the, at the height of Christmas fall are all being reversed. In fact, we're not taking any step forward. But to make it worse, just to reflect on the budget speech, uh, I don't think it's rational for anyone uh, to try and cut down uh, higher education funding at this point because we always claim to want to become a developmental state as the country. And how to become a developmental state if you don't have your own economists, you don't have your own accountants, you don't have your own engineers and lawyers. So you always outsource your thinking to Europe and they apply European solutions to African problems. And you are never going to get where you want to get because you've outsourced the primary fabric of what your country should be about. So the cutting of not only the budget but also the reduction of uh, the intake of UNIFA students is a fair reflection of the fact that uh, our country is driven by capitalist interest, and by capitalist interest, I mean interests that are profit-driven and not necessarily shared by the well-being of our country or the, develop- the developmental state or nature we always uh, procure to want to be. And I guess, you know, Bindula, to the point that you're raising, I mean, it, it has much wider sort of political ramifications. I mean, we saw students uh, out uh, in Parliament just before the budget, uh, I saw the um, deputy president of uh, the South African Students Congress, which is a part of the Progressive Youth Alliance, which you're a member of, um, you know, uh, making some remarks, Buila uh, Matiwane, around uh, the conditions uh, within which they would support or not support the ANC in the local uh, government elections that are coming up. Um, I guess we can't divorce all of these issues. All of these issues uh, are part of one political matrix, uh, if I'm to use that term. Uh, yeah. that uh, plays itself out and that uh, has uh, very real and lived experiences for, for, for black, poor, working-class students. Yeah, just, just to reply to that now, if we, as members of the PYA, the ANC, League, SASC, or the YCL, COSAS, and every other aligned structure, are not the ones who hold the ANC accountable, then we don't deserve to be members of those structures. We don't deserve to be a youth league, we don't deserve to be a SASCO member, we don't deserve to be a YCL mm. member. If you do not call the ANC out when it's wrong, then we don't deserve to be that. In SASCO, among the first principles we are taught is to say we complement and contradict the ANC. Where the ANC mm. goes wrong, we have a responsibility to be the first ones who call it out. And at this very point, 
the move to defund or to reduce funding for education is a move which we think as student leaders is a blunder. And if we're afraid to call that out, not only are we failing ourselves and the ANC, but we're failing future generations that are dependent on the outcomes or the fruits of what we fight for today. Thank you very much, President. Thank you for having me. That there is Mpendulo Mfeka, is the uh, SRC president at the University of the Witwatersrand. And uh, yeah, explaining the situation as it's unfolding at the moment um, on a campus out at Wits University. And we saw some horrific scenes earlier on. And uh, I guess, you know, I want to leave you all with uh, the one question, which is, um, yeah, I mean, have we not learned anything from...